This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 58 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Thoroughbred Racing with Frankie Lovato. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips. Visit them at equestriancollections.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, where weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, hi, Helena. Hello. We're going to do talk about something today that we have never talked about in the year we've been doing this show. We've really never talked about it. Uh, no. And that is the sport of thoroughbred racing. And, of course, I live in the heart of it down here in Lexington, Kentucky. Yes, you do. We, are, we have more big... Breeding and, and training and all kinds of thoroughbred farms around here than I'd say anywhere else in the world. And they're absolutely beautiful. You were down here. We took you on a tour. It's just incredible what you, what you, the farms you see down here. Oh, it's the, the beginning of a racehorse's life <laughs> is, uh, is beautiful. Um, there were broodmares and babies everywhere. And it was like, that's how life should be on 30 acres of turnout per horse and, you know, fat moms and happy babies. And I can tell you, we've been living here for, for going on two years now, and when we drive around, you never, we have it to this point, never stopped gawking at everything. It's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, it is incredible living You're here. in gawk country. Yes, we are. It, it's a pretty drive no matter where you go outside of Lexington. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that we're in the middle right now. It's convenient that we're doing this show right now. We're in the middle of the Keeneland yearling sale. And it's the big sale every year where they, they sell off the yearlings to get them prepped for whoever's going to race them, mm-hmm. whoever the new owners are going to be. And it's been, it's been a hard one this year. The, the number of the first couple days of the sale, actually, the number of no sells was at over 40%. That means they didn't reach their minimum bid. So uh, they don't sell. They don't reach their minimum bid. The horses don't sell. Right. The, They're called the, a no-sell. Right. And the current owners then pretty much have to take them. They send them out to trainers, and they get them trained up for for another year, and then they try and sell them at the two-year-old sale. Ah. But what happened is a lot of them are upside down right now in that they paid two years ago when, when these horses were – where they were paying the stud fees for these horses, these babies. Right. The prices were at the highest level they've ever been in history for, oh. for stud fees, and now okay. we're at the lowest level we've been in 30 years for selling these horses, so right. a lot of these people are way upside down. Okay. They may have paid a half a million dollars for the stud fee, and they're selling these horses for $100,000, $150,000. Right. Do you know, um, when I was at your house, Jennifer lent me a wonderful book called uh, A Wild Ride, which 
the um, story of Calumet, right? Right. right. Chronicles of the, the history of Calumet. It is such a wonderful education in um, racehorse breeding and sales. It, it is, it's, it's an industry unto itself, and it's absolutely fascinating. But understanding the dollar figures that go along with stud fees and um, babies and the yearling sales, it's it. I would I would equate it to Wall Street. Like it is so complicated <laughs> and it is. You're so significant. You're I right. mean, th- these are people's livelihoods. So. You know, paying what, – what did you say? A million dollars for a stud fee or $100,000 for a stud fee? Yes. I mean 100000 is very common. You know? Okay, $100,000 for a stud fee. And so then, you know, give me an example of what a minimum bid would be at Keeneland. Well, right now there were horses going for 5000 um, And, you know, it's the first year and the first couple of days of the sale that only two horses went over a million dollars. The Cheap rest horses. of them were 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 under that, and there are a lot of horses selling for you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Do they publish the who sell who yes. buys the yes. horses? Yes, if you just go to Google and and search the Keeneland website, you'll see they they have everything right on there. Okay. Um, and it, it's you know it's very interesting. It's interesting to follow, and it, it's a big time here in in Lexington when the sales are going on. As I said, they're putting over five thousand horses through in two weeks. Um, and it's 5,000 horses? 5,000 horses go through the sale in two weeks. 5,000 yearlings, actually. Where do they come from? Do they, do they ship in from, is it, are, uh, are everywhere. they most? Everywhere. Everywhere. And, you know, the, the, uh, there's a lot of people here from the Middle East. The, the Sultan of Dubai is very big in Lexington. And he actually, his agents have bought the $2 million horse that sold. And he spent okay. a total, I think, this far, thus far in the sale, after a couple of days into it, of uh, eight million, so he's the one really propping this sale up. I think at this point. Okay. Oh, wow. He flies it's... his private. He has two private jets. Uh, the Sultan of Dubai. He flies those one private jets for him. It's you know a completely refurbished seven sixty seven or you know one of the big ones seven seventy seven. And then he has the same jet that he gutted and made into stalls for horses. So it's his horse jet, and it, that both jets fly in, and they they're guarded twenty four hours a day in the middle of the airport tarmac at the airport there in Lexington, and uh, they have the royal colors on them. Somebody so. needs to make a movie out of this because there is so much <laughs> drama involved, and I don't know if the drama is because we're dealing with horses and horse people, or if we're dealing with so much money, or a combination of the two. Well, you know, but- I got to tell you too. We just had speaking of movies, Secretariat's being filmed right now. Here, they're doing a movie about Secretariat. And they're filming right now in around Lexington and over in Louisville at the, uh, you know, at the Churchill Downs. Wow. And it, it, last Saturday was the call for extras, and apparently hundreds and hundreds of people showed up to uh, sign up to be extras. Did you show up? No, we didn't go over. We had Arr. other things going on, but but uh, they were looking for extras, and they're filming it right now. So there's going to be a secretary. I guess the other one did so well. Which one was that? Um, oh, um, the one with Toby Maguire? Yes. Um, sea Biscuit. Sea Biscuit was doing did so well that they're now now doing one on Secretariat. So, wow, I'm not going to miss that one. I mean, Sea Biscuit was good. the The book was awesome. Yeah, the sea was, and you know, the movie never translate. I mean, the book never translates perfectly into the movie. But um, I would I wouldn't miss the Secretariat movie for anything. No, that's going to be a good one. All right. Well, I think that we should probably get our guest on today. We we have with us one of the most popular ex-jockeys, I'd say, out there, and that's Frankie Lovato, 
Frankie actually was on the show with us for like two minutes uh, before, <laughs> and that's when we did our Twitter episode. Frankie has designed something called the Equisizer, and we'll talk about that with him, but that's not going to be the main focus of our conversation. It's going to be about being a jockey and how he got started and, and you know, the industry today and where he thinks it's going and you know, there's a lot of upheaval in the racing industry right now with, with the casinos and gambling and the whole thing. So I, it'd be interesting to see. And Frankie is opinionated on stuff. He has his opinions. So it'll, no, they'll fit right in. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we never have opinions. Uh, <laughs> no, we're so, so low-key. <laughs> so we're going to uh, get Frankie on here and say hi and talk a little bit about the sport of racing. We'll be back with Frankie Lovato right after I just speak a few words about our friends at Equestrian Collections. As you know, Equestrian Collections brings the whole universe of equestrian shopping to your fingertips at a price you can afford. And it is the fall going into the winter now, and it's time to start looking at your old barn coat. Maybe is it time to replace it? Is it time to take a look for a new one? Or maybe you just need a new coat for going out? Well... Equestrian Collections has over two dozen brands of out, outerwear and clothing for you. And I can tell you what, one of the coolest out there right now is Outback Trading. Outback used to just carry stuff pretty much for the Western side, but they also do, they, they have many, many, many different options now for the English rider as well. Anywhere from their low rider duster to their, to their uh, swagman coats. Uh, and also their oil skins. They have the oil skin jackets and the oil skin coats, fleece jackets, all different kinds of things now. You can take a look at all of the options for Outback Trading, the good quality stuff there, at equestriancollections.com. And don't forget, they also carry all the sheets and blankets you're ever going to need or want at prices you can afford for your horse for this fall and winter. So for all of your fall and winter needs, whether it's for you or your horse, check out equestriancollections.com. Well, hi, Frankie. It's good to have you back on the Stable Scoop Show. You know what? We're going to give you three minutes today instead of two like we did the last time. <laughs> I'm ready. Three minutes, that's, a, that's longer than a Kentucky Derby. There you go. <laughs> You've been in a lot of two-minute races, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. And, and jockey's attention spans generally are short, so three minutes is a long time. <laughs> I told you, you would get right in. This is perfect. <laughs> we need so to I hope I can hang in there. You know, there's so, so I- many jokes here, Frankie. There just is, but I'm going to let them all go. No, you're not. You'll get a few in. You'll get a few Please in. don't. Okay. All right. Well, wait. Let's start with some serious stuff. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Frankie, you, you've done some riding in your career. Give us an idea of, uh, of your experience on the racetrack. Sure, sure. Well, it started back with my dad being a professional jockey as well. Um, so I was in, in the racing business well, I'll say my whole life. Um, I started, uh, I left home at age 13 to go work on a horse farm so that I can train and be ready to be a professional jockey by the age of 16. Um, by the age of 17, I was an Eclipse Award winner and, and, and won about 400 races um, and then went on to the, the remaining part of my career, which was, uh, it, it lasted 25 years. I retired from racing at age 42, not retired from working. You lasted just, 25 years? Yes. Yes, that's way above average. Yeah, like uh, you should have been uh, pretty much arthritic and not being able to walk by now. <laughs> well, when I wake up in the morning, it's not pretty. Um, <laughs> See, but I do warm he's up. a total fit. He fits in just right. So yes, you I, actually I, started by the time you were 17 and by 18, what, it was 18? Well, I started at 16. By, by 17, I was an Eclipse Award winner. And um, and at, at by I retired at 42 with with uh, over 15,000 races under my belt and 
um, just shy of 1,700 winners. Wow. Are oh, you in the Hall of Fame yet? <laughs> no, I, I needed a few more thousand winners to... to oh, is that make, right? Yeah, those guys, uh, tremendous uh, careers, exceptional, exceptional. When you look at someone like uh, Lafitte or Chris McCarron or Pat Day or uh, Angel Cordero, these guys have uh, 7,000 uh, marked and, 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 and written in stone, so uh, I, I can't compete with that. But <laughs> that sounds, where did you race at? Where was your, did you have a main track or did you float or what? Well, primarily I was the New York Circuit, which was Belmont, Aqueduct, and Saratoga. Um, I, I, the majority of my career was raced right there in the New York Circuit. And then the later years, um, I was riding for Steve Esmussen in um, Kentucky, uh, Chicago, and New Orleans. So that's where I finished out my career, the, the Midwest. Which, which did you like better? Oh, gosh. Um, that's, that's like asking, you know, your favorite child yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But, but uh, I can tell you that I, I loved Arlington Park. I, I loved it. And, and where is that? Race. That's in Chicago. Okay. Beautiful race course, uh, beautiful turf course, the facility, the people. Um, and a fun and, city, too. Yes, the fans there, it was just it was kind of like a mini Saratoga, and, and there's just a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, happy people. <laughs> it's <laughs> I mean, a good place. Going, talking about um, racing venues and children, we know kids have di- very different personalities. Do certain racetracks have a personality or a feel or a vibe? I think so. Um, you, you, like, if, for example, I'll go to an extreme uh, aqueduct race course opposed to the fairgrounds, New Orleans. Um, you've got two completely different towns. Uh, you know, if, you, if you could just close your eyes and imagine being in New Orleans or uh, outside of Brooklyn, New York, um, the New York fans are tough. Uh, it's very demanding. There's a lot of pressure with everyone. I mean, you always have pressure with your owners and trainers to perform, but the fans there are tough. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not happy when they lose their $2. No, 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 no. My whole family's from Brooklyn, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you take no offense to that because my children are also from New York. It's, Absolutely it's, not. It's just, uh, no, we bust on her about that all the time. <laughs> it, is true. it is true. Which, well, when you said that you, you started out sort of in the New York circuit, I thought, well, geez, Belmont and Aqueduct, that, that's kind of a tough. Um, how, like, I guess I'm curious as to how influential the fans are. Well, you can't you can't let them get to you. That that's probably the, the toughest thing because they pull no punches. I mean, after the race, you would not want your children standing by the outside rail after they've lost their bet. So, um, it, you know, it's it's something in New York. I, I think you just adjust to and 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 you have enough pressure with your own trainer, so you don't really let the fans affect you. No, in I'm that sure respect. you've been called everything in the book, haven't you, Frankie? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's good. They reach down. If, 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 if it doesn't seem to phase you, they go a little deeper. They try to <laughs> they get very personal. <laughs> They'll get you. They want to see a reaction. Well, you, so what would be the opposite then? Give, a, give us an example of a place that's... Well, an opposite of... Uh, Saratoga is even a better... Uh, you know, you go, Saratoga, even though it's still the New York owners and trainers... Um, and some of the fans, it's more of a recreational type setting. You've got families, you've got people going their vacation, and they go there. They lose their two bucks. Happy, happy, joy, joy. They're asking for your autograph. They right. they want to pick you up and carry you back to the jockey's room and <laughs> high five you and, and everybody just happy. You know, it's just a different well, atmosphere. And, and I think too, if you, you it has to be you get a whole different feel. Then again, when you come to a place like Keeneland, don't you? 
down here yep. in Lexington, where it's just, it is a party, and it's, it's a fancy dressed-up party. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to ride at the Keeneland Meet many times. Um, they literally applaud when you return, um, whether, win or lose. When the horses return after the race, you, get, you, get a, you hear a round of applause that follow you with your horse as you're galloping back from after the race back towards the unsaddling area. And it's a, it's a very cool thing because it's a wave of, of applause that follows you, and especially if you're the winner. Um, hmm. it's a really neat thing. It's a really, well, neat I think thing. part of that too is, is the, like at Keeneland and even Churchill somewhat. Uh, but I think Keeneland more than any other track probably in the country is we all live here and we appreciate the horse for what the horse is. We're not, we're, we're going to bet, but betting isn't the reason that we go to Keeneland. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and there's 35, 40,000 people every day at that race meet. This place is packed. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a lot like the Saratoga atmosphere, and those are those are fans, the horse lovers. Um, they they love to go see the the best horses perform, and and I mean, you look at every one of those horses; they're just beautiful, and you've got the best trainers, owners, and jockeys that are there competing. So it's it's brilliant. How often do you actually um, ride a particular horse? And you know yeah. that you partner up with one animal. Well, sometimes we partner up with them only there at the race for that one moment in time. And, and there's often times that you'll ride a horse and never ride it again. Um, or there's a horse that you may ride. I, I had a horse that I, ha- I had ridden. His name was Boom Counter. Um, he, was, he was quite the horse to ride. But I, I, w- I rode him 40 uh, sometimes over a three-year period. So um, it, it goes all different kinds of uh, different scenarios. But uh, it could change horse to horse. Uh, it, it, there's no, no nothing I can really answer there. It just it changes often. I want to well, go ahead. Sorry, Glenn. I was just thinking of that. The train of thought that I was going through is that when you you're feeling so elated after a race, what like you said, whether you win or lose, and the fans are sort of helping you know to support that elation. You know, there's a respect, like you said, Glenn, from the people who attend a Keeneland because they um, they actually understand a little bit more about what goes into a race ride, what goes into the breeding and the training. Um, And so I'm thinking about the partnership between the jockey and the animal in that given moment. And, you know, when you ride a horse 40 times, you can start to develop, I think, a pretty deep understanding of the the horse. Um, But then what happens when you ride a horse just once? What do you, you know, you get on and then it's almost like you have to have a really quick conversation. He's got to understand you. You got to understand him. Well, tell me a little bit about that. That well, there's there's not like a when you think of a relationship that you build with a horse as a rider to a horse, it's a little different when a jockey and a horse because um, you're you're introduced to that horse. They're in the in the saddling area, the paddock area. Those horses, uh, they're fired up. They're ready to go. Um, they're, they're, you could walk out there in a clown suit, and they're not going to care. Um, they're not going to – there's not really a bonding moment. Um, you, you can, as a jockey, when, once you get out on the track to warm up, um, and there's, there's a lot of times when I was on maybe, let's say, for example, a nervous filly that, um, you know, that I, I let her know from my hands and, and my body language – that I was her friend and tried to get her to relax so that she would um, just just take a deep breath and, and take it all in rather than just be constantly uptight. But um, that's about 
that's all the opportunity I get is I get to spend from the time I get legged up from the trainer, maybe 10 minutes. Um, and that, that's not a lot of time to, to bond or, or, or have a horse react or, or me be able to, to um, everything's got to be right then and there. You know, right. everything. But Frankie, now, you, you, you do hear jockeys, especially after they win, they say this. Um, you do hear jockeys say, you know, as soon as I sat on that horse, I knew that this was something special. Do, do, do you have that experience? Do you think that's a true statement, or is that somewhat hype? I think it's, I, I mean, I, I think we'd all like to believe that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's sort of a fantasy, isn't it? I sat in yeah. secretariat, and the first time I knew he was a winner. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, not to pop any bubbles or anything, but I, I've sat on horses. I said, "Man, I just I love this horse. This is the best horse I've ever sat on," and then it just not worked out. <laughs> yeah, it came in last few times, and and it yeah, was a good so, jumper later. Right, right. In the absence of (laughs) you need to be a good listener, though, because like, what's your strategy then? If if you're getting on a horse for the first time, and you you said something called you you got legged up from the trainer. What does that mean? Oh, that's when they once you meet your owner and trainer there in the paddock, they leg you up. Is when they actually uh, give you a leg up onto your horse. Okay, so it's the, the literal sense. Okay, yes, exactly. It's a literal. Um, so you're figuring out. Well, so what's your strategy? A horse you've never ridden before. There's no relationship there. You need to know a little bit about what's going to work for this horse and what's not going to work. How does that ha- happen? Well, generally, jockeys will. We read the racing forms. So we look at their past performances um, and see if they have a race record. We can we can get a general idea of of uh, some of their um, habits as far as whether they have speed or don't have speed. If um, if they finish strongly, if they don't finish strongly, uh, to give ourselves a sense and compare that to the other horses in the race from their past performances. Um, so you can have a general idea, uh, but when you do walk out to the the paddock, the saddling area, your trainer may give you a whole different set of instructions. Um, so myself as a jockey, I would try to educate myself as best as I could with the competition. Um, with the other jockeys or riding the competition. And then when I'd walk out to the, the paddock, I would have to listen to what the trainer and owner saw themselves as far as the uh, reading the racing form, seeing how they thought that race might shape up, and their instructions, of course. Um, so uh, I would be given a set of instructions. It might be starting from, we'll warm this horse up good or don't warm this horse up good, um, keep them quiet or try to wake him up a little bit, he's a bit lazy. Uh, then from the gates, you, you hope that the, the my instructions may be try to lay close to the pace or try to stay off the pace, um, try to break well or try to cover him up. All these little terms, these hints that the trainer might tell you how right. to ride your horse. So that is, uh, those are things, no matter what kind of horse um, or what habits that horse may have, as a jockey, you know, well, you push to go and you pull to woe, basically. Um, you want to go faster, you ride faster. You want to go slower, you ride slower. So you turn left. You turn, you turn left. Hopefully, all the time. Um, here in America Racing, we turn to the left. So uh, I, I, someone asked me, "Well, how does that work?" Kind of like you asked me, and I said, "You know what? When you rent, when you rent a car from the airport, you know, you might be given a, a Dodge, you might be given a Honda. I, you know, who knows what you're given? It might be a sedan, it might be a truck." But you know that where the gas pedal is, where the brake is, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it's not backwards. Um, 
so you you have a general idea of how you can handle the situation when you come to a stoplight. You know you need to press on the brake. Uh, if it's a horse that doesn't have that much uh, good brakes, you know you're going to have to give yourself more time to slow them down in front of another horse that may be slowing down. So you, these are the things Yeah, that, that's a good analogy, actually, Frankie, because, you know, you may not know right away where the lights are, the windshield wipers. They're the minor exactly. things. But you do know where the gas is and where the steering wheel is and, you know, all of that. Exactly. You're, you're figuring the other little stuff out along the way. But I wanted to, uh, because I want to reference it later on here, I want to talk a little bit about the, get this started so that we can reference it and, and some of the things that we're picking up in it. The show Jockeys. It's okay. on Animal Planet. It started last season. I think it was a huge hit, which is why it's back this year with much more production value. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're, yes. they're obviously Great. spending a whole lot more money on it. You have uh-huh. some friends on the show, right? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, three of them are dear friends, which is Aaron Greider, Mike Smith, and Chantel Sutherland. Uh, big supporters of what I do with the Equisizer. They're, they're all Equisizer owners and users. Um, but uh, besides that, we've rode together. Um, uh, Aaron and, and Mike, uh, we've raced together for many years, and uh, they're, they're fierce competitors but dear friends. Well, i tell you what, if anybody hasn't seen the show yet, I recommend they watch it. From my personal opinion, I want to ask your opinion here in a minute, but it's just my wife and I and our friends, we get together every week and we watch the show together, and it's just... It's just, it's riveting. It's fun. It's, it, it's just a good show, I think. I don't know. How true is this show? What do you think of the show? And how close to the way it is in the jockey room and all the different things that they show going on? How close is it to true? Well, I, I'll say that from, from me watching the show myself, that it's probably the best um, depiction of what really a jockey's life is all about. Um, they do add some drama, but they also don't show some of the drama. Um, the everyday stuff. Um, so they, they, they focus on a few jockeys and a few things that's going on in their lives. Um, but that, that emotional roller coaster is actually much faster. Um, through the course of the day, you might have three times of, of what you see during one show. Wow. Um, so you see a guy, well, he wins a race with a horse that you know, hadn't ridden or like uh, they featured John Court winning on that horse at Churchill Downs that he had ridden in the Breeders' Cup in Renegade. Meanwhile, that's probably he's probably had that much of a, a of an emotional roller coaster ride in the course of one day, probably three or four times already. Um, you might you might work out horses in the morning. You might have two trainers mad at you, <laughs> four that love you, <laughs> um, before you even get to the races in the afternoon. Um, and then, and then you might have uh, one horse wins, and then one horse runs terrible, and uh, three horses run terrible, and the horse that you thought would win doesn't. The horse you didn't think would win runs good. Um, so you've got all these things going on. It's much faster than the show uh, picks. Well, the one thing we commented on the last last week, especially episode, it, when the girls and the guys were having their battle between each other in the locker room there. Um, one of the things we commented on, I, I don't hope you don't take offense to this, um, is is it just seemed like high school. <laughs> the <laughs> pranks and the little things and all that crap, it just seemed like they were in high school. <laughs> well, you know, that that's, that really happens. There's a lot of that stuff that really happens. 
You know what? That happens in a lot of barns, period. Yeah, that's true, I guess. <laughs> and I don't you know think what we ever outgrow our high school work, personalities, honestly. Workplaces, work too. And Mike yeah. is a favorite of mine, obviously. He's so well-spoken. Mike Smith, he's on that yeah. show. He's, he's a, you know, obviously one of the top jockeys. And then it is interesting to see his relationship with Chantel, his girlfriend, who's also a jockey. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you have the male-female thing, which they're really playing up this year. I'm not sure why they're hitting that so hard other than drama. Well, good team. Now, good team. do you think they over-dramatize at all, or is this just pretty much the way it is? I think that they do over-dramatize some things, but, but like I mentioned, there is plenty of drama. Um, and through the course of, of, the, of one day, and when they show on one show, it's, um, there's just no way they could get to all of it. <laughs> but they're, they're, taking, like, they're focusing on one, one thing of drama, and they are exaggerating some of that. Um, but there is a plenty, there is plenty of drama through the course of a day in a jockey's life. Now, when so. you have to go meet with the stewards, that's one of the things when, when, when you do something wrong in a race or you're intentionally, uh, causing a problem out there, you have to visit the stewards of the track, which are like, uh, like the judges or the, the umpires. Yep. yep. And they determine whether you're going to get fined or suspended or whatever for what you did. Is that over-dramatized with the three guys sitting at the desk looking all serious and, you know... Not no, not at all. Oh, really? That, that can be. I mean, generally, when you walk into a steward's office, if now California, I, I, I'm going to say California is, is a, a very type. Of, it's kind of a loose. Uh, when I say loose, I, I mean it's very friendly. They're 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 very friendly. But I've ridden some some racetracks where the stewards. I mean, literally, you you have to your shirt better be tucked in. You take your your if you're wearing a baseball cap or. You take your baseball cap. You approach them. You you answer to them as sir. Um, so these guys you know, are you, gods, huh? That the... they they are. They can they can ruin you. I mean, <laughs> they have a, a lot to to. If they like you and 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 they see that you're trying, you know, they they definitely can can be more lean on you. But if if they see that you're you're a troublemaker. If, it's old school. I mean, these guys can really, really make. Of your course, life you were school. never in the steward's office. You're speaking from third-hand uh, <laughs> stories, right, Frankie? Can I can I tell you something? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah that exactly. I, I was. I, I'm going to tell you a quick funny story, and I hope not to take too much from it. No, no, go ahead. I was. Uh, I wrote for 20 years without never receiving any penalty or suspension, which uh, has never been done before, in, in as, as far as anyone knows in racing history. Wow, and, and I'll tell you how I know that is when you go to every state, you have to be licensed in every state you ride. So even if you're licensed in New York, you you might go to New Jersey. You still have to get a license for New Jersey, and every license application um, asks you your prior suspensions um, or if you've had any fines. And I've always marked no, and uh, I would always get called into the stewards, and they say, "Well, there's a mistake here because you marked no." Certainly, you've all, you've at least been suspended one time, and I was always like, "No, I've never been suspended." So this went on for years and years and years. <laughs> I'm talking 20 years. Um, I went to New Orleans to get licensed, and and there the the, the stewards and Bill Hartack was one of them. I mean, they they demand a lot of respect from their riders, and. Um, so I filled out my license, and I wrote no, and they called me up, and they said, uh, you, you've made a mistake here. You need to come back and re- reapply for this license. I said, no, no, sir. Uh, no, I didn't. I said, I have never been fined or suspended. And they said, well, this can't be. 
So they went on a mission to find anything <laughs> they find could on something me. on you. <laughs> they couldn't find anything on me. So they called me back down to the steward's office. They closed the door, and now I'm nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. nervous. They said, they said, son, in our lifetime, we've never seen anybody with a cleaner record than <laughs> you've had. And, um, oh, of course, I'm clicking my heels. I'm, I'm like, yep, that's right. I'm, you know. Yeah. So uh, the funny, funny ending to this story is the very next day, they they find me. <laughs> just for the fun of it? No, be, because there was a uh, there was movies just like you saw on the show jockeys where they they had asked me to come in and review the movies. Now I I didn't bother anybody. I was I was bothered. Um, I didn't know their protocol there in, in Louisiana, and uh, I didn't see that they had marked my name up on the board to appear in movies. I didn't know it was really just a a, a mistake, a misunderstanding. So I get to the jockey's room to report to ride for the races, and I get an envelope with my fine. Oh. And I was like, "This is," and I'm saying the very next day. And I said, you, "You've got to, you've got to be kidding me!" Right. I'm like, and they said, "Well, you failed to appear in movies, and it's a, it's an automatic fine. So we're sorry to be the first ones." <laughs> yeah, they weren't sorry. They had you nailed. Yeah, they were. What is it to appear in movies? Well, movies is when we when we have to watch uh, the replays with the stewards. If there was any sort of uh, interference, um, any any altercation out there with the horses that that uh, need to be reviewed, um, if it was human error, meaning with the jockey, um, and, and it just it's a, it's an observation to go over the, these these races that that uh, where there might have been any infraction to be sure that it was on the up and up and that it wasn't jockey error. So they're saying you were saying that you were bothered by somebody else and you didn't think that you needed to appear to review these movies. Right, right. But that was their protocol. You just didn't know it because you uh, weren't the one who was being well, accused of something. It made it right. actually easier for you in the future. You could just say, yeah, I had a suspension, and then you were fine. <laughs> no! You didn't get to call into the principal's office anymore. Well, you Whoa. know what? Now you've, you've got to tell that story yeah. it's <laughs> so, out now. So, Frankie, Frankie, <laughs> let me ask you this. Uh, you, let's talk money a little bit. Now, they do refer to this quite a bit, actually, in uh-huh. in, in the in the show Jockeys. But you know, you get a certain percentage of win, place, or show. The first, the the leading three, right? Is it three or five? It's um, it's for the first three finishers. We get a percentage of what the owners make. Okay. Um, now this is one of my pet peeves, and I know what you're you're ready to ask me is when you see like the jockeys that their earnings next to their name is four point two million dollars. Yeah, but that's the total, right? That's that's. That's the horses that they've ridden. That's what their owners have earned from the horses that they've ridden. Okay. Um, right. So that's for first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Some race tracks, tracks pay back even further. Um, so it's it's really a it's really unfair because there's there's jockeys that we only. I'm going to tell you what the percentage of, about we make yep. from that number um, is about six percent. Okay. I thought it was ten, but is that negotiable too, or? Well, no. See, yeah. you get ten percent of the winner share if you win. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, and then now, it goes back. Yeah. Okay. Now for second and third, you only get five percent. All right. So you're averaging so, six, is what you're saying, pretty much. Yeah, and they pay for fourth, fifth. But the jockeys don't get paid any different for that. So if we're looking at a middle-level jockey, somebody that's just in the middle, it's an average okay. jockey, wins an average number of races, are they making a hundred grand a year, or are they making... What are they making? The, the average jockey 
makes uh, this is from the very top to the very bottom about twenty five thousand dollars a year. Wow, that's so, not worth it for breaking bones on a regular basis. No, if you take the top ten jockeys out, and then the the average they probably make about ten to fifteen thousand a year. Oh wow! So you're looking at a significant fall off once you take the top riders off the top ten. You're looking at a significant difference in in, uh, mm. in earnings. Yeah, those guys can make they make well into six figures the top ten. So you're right; they they're probably accounting for for fifty percent of the total earnings, and right. you know that's usually the way it works anyway. So right, what kinds right. of things do what what kinds of things what kinds of work will jockeys other jockeys pick up in order to make up? I mean, it's hard to survive yeah. on. It, do they have is, to do but, that, or you know, do they have the time, or is it like you have to totally sacrifice everything? No, you have to totally sacrifice everything, and, and you hope that you have a good meet. You hope that you get a good horse, and 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 uh, most jockeys are struggling. They're yeah. they're, you know, they're not they're not making, they're not they're not able to support a family. And that's the, why the they're out there in the mornings doing the rides and get fifteen bucks each and all that stuff yeah. too. Now, the, the morning so workouts you, you don't get paid unless. Okay. Unless you're doing that bad, you have to pretty much say, you know what, I, I, I need that $10 amount um, yeah. for that morning workout, and hopefully maybe someone will ride me on one in the afternoon. Um, there's uh, jockeys that are caught in that catch-22 situation as well. Um, but if, if, you're not, if you're not making any money afternoon, you, you end up just being an exercise rider and, yeah. and hope mm-hmm. that you ride one here and there. You know, we, we want, we, I want to talk to you about the Equisizer and how you became a successful businessman after, uh, after riding all those horses. Um, but, but at first, I want to ask you a little bit just your opinion on where racing is now, where it's going. Um, we have, obviously, the casinos coming in. I'm, I'm hearing in Pennsylvania now they, they brought slots in to Penn National and the, casino, or the tracks up there. And now they're talking about bringing the tables in sooner than they expected because they need money. Do you see, at this point, the casinos appear to have helped racing, but is there going to be a point, like at a place like Penn National in Pennsylvania, which was a dumpy little track till the casino came in, in mm-hmm. some ways it still is, but, you know, you, you, is, there, is there, are the casinos going to, at some point are they going to go, the horses are in the way, we need to build the hotels and all that stuff, and then racing just goes away and we have casinos? Well, my my opinion is it's kind of like one of those things where um, you gotta go for it. I mean, racing racing here in Ohio, where where I'm at, is is bad bad shape. Um, the breeding programs, there's no incentives, there's no tax incentives, there's no there's no money to help build the programs. So breeders are forced to ship their mares to Pennsylvania, where um, they're they're all it's falling apart. Racing is falling apart here unless they can get these, um, these slots in these casinos. And, um, so with that, that, that helps generate more incentive, more funding, um, to keep these, these guys going. And, and, and some of these guys have been here for years and, and they're, they're loyal horsemen, um, that have invested their lives into their farms and their mares and, and, it's just uh, we we need it. Um, racing needs it. Whether whether it's going to be the end of it or not, it's if it if it doesn't happen, it's going to be the end of it. Period. Are you so. saying then that the slots are bringing cash flow, not necessarily people, but cash flow into the the racing? Yeah, I don't know exactly how it works. I'm okay. no expert. I am no expert. I just know that I, I it brings both. 
Yeah, and it, okay. the purses are greater, and the, you know, it just it does it does help. I, you know, right now we're we're in the middle of the Keeneland sales down here for the yearlings. I was talking about it a little bit before you came on, and and we're at record low prices, and you know, forty percent no sales, and you know, it's a tough time all around economy wise, but it's really tough right now in the thoroughbred industry. And uh, you know, you can always say you're a businessman. You know, business goes in cycles. This shaking out probably need to be ha- needed to happen because we were overinflated in prices. We won't get into all the details of racing with the pin hookers and all that stuff, but there was a lot going on that was just inflated that was artificial. It's just like the stock market. You, Helena, made that analogy itself. before. It's correcting itself now, and it's probably going to end up being where it should be. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you, Glenn. Um, again, I'm no. Wow, expert. I got something. I almost sounded intelligent there. That was good. But we had a, yeah. a lot of this money coming in from the um, there and from Dubai and the, the the Arabs, and they were flying in and spending millions and millions of dollars on horses and, and trying to uh, build up their breeding program overseas. Um, I mean, without them, if, if we would have been seeing this a lot sooner. Uh, mm. Horses overinflated, spending money on horses that because they have it or someone has it, but you know it's it, it is crazy. It is crazy. I, I, of course, we want to see everybody do well, and and I'm not I'm not knocking that at all. Um, but just like the housing market, where houses were going for a ridiculous amount of money, um, right? And there in New York, we were talking about it was just like uh, our little old house was appraised for. Well, four years ago, ridiculous and um, insane, um, and now it's it's dropped off and it's more realistic. And so, it's it's fair. It, it's it's the balance. It's the the nature of it, I guess. So right. What? And if you're smart and proactive about your your business, which not everybody is, but you can survive these corrections. You're still going to feel a hit, just like the rest of the the country is in the economy. But I guess just like anything, you really have to brush up on your business so that you can survive. The swings, yep. the, the the pendulum, right? Exactly. The the lows with the highs, and the highs with the lows. Absolutely. And do you think that necessarily means that the bigger organizations, the bigger breeding farms, are better at that, or do you think that both the, the smaller operation and the bigger ones have an equally fair shot at um, at you know staying healthy business wise? Yeah, that that's uh, I think up to the individual. You know, that we have some some of those big farms, big operations that uh, are. Uh, you know they might they might have been over budget already. I, I don't I don't know. So I, I guess it really depends on the management of, of each individual. Right. Uh, All right. Well, we need we're going to run out of time, and I don't want to run out of time before we talk about how did the heck did you? First of all, describe it quickly what the Equisizer is for those that may have missed or the very few people in this country that don't know you. I've gotten more emails, more <laughs> comments on Facebook about having you on than any other guest we've had on to this point. So you have a fan club out there, and I don't know if it was all your mother and your family and your sister, but either that or you you, you got the uh, marketing down pat. I'm not sure which, but tell us about how the Equisizer came into being and what it is exactly. Well, I'm going to give you the quick history of it, but many years ago, this is uh, 1981, I fractured my leg, and I needed extensive rehab. Um, what they, what I was doing for rehab uh, wasn't answering the question. My doctor had doubts if I was going to be able to ride again at one point. Um, so I had to I had to find the answer to that question way before the, the, the healing process and or um, 
him giving me the approval to ride a real horse. I mean, that, that could have taken a year. So I needed to find out sooner. So my idea was, well, I'm going to build myself a horse. And that was the birth of the Equisizer. Basically, a, a wooden contraption on springs um, that let me be in riding position um, and and try to, uh, in my case, during the rehabilitation process, I had to regain some some flexibility lost um, and my my left leg, uh, and then I also had to regain some some muscle tone. So um, it worked magnificently for me. Uh, better than I could ever have imagined, but besides helping me rehabilitate, it actually made me a better rider, uh, better athlete. Uh, was, I had better rhythm, I had better style, better form on my horses. Um, other riders picked up on it. My first two customers were Lafitte Pink Eye and Angel Cordero. Um, I didn't intend on starting a business. They asked me as friends to please build them one, and uh, I hesitated. I actually, there's a funny story to that too, but that's another story. <laughs> um, but but Lafitte Pinkai had a party at his house, and he had a, he had one of my horses I had built for him. And then the very next day, I had Chris McCarron and Gary Stevens and Pat Villanueva, um, all these other top riders started calling me, build me one of those things. So were you doing? And, were you building them themselves yourself, and like in the garage at this point? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And just a, another another ten years goes by, and and I, I returned to racing. I was riding. I was busy. I was doing well, um, and and I was building horses in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was a bit crazy. Uh, I I didn't want to. Um, I really didn't want to start a business. I mean, I thought, man, it'd be nice once I retire from racing. At the time, I mean, I was right in the the middle of my career. It was so. Um, it just happened. I had to do something about it. I did it. It probably hurt me some in my racing career. Um, trying to devote 100% of the two businesses is kind of, kind of crazy. Um, so, so I was, I was, uh, I was making some, some mistakes. Uh, business-wise, I, I wasn't able to put as much time into the equisizer business I wanted to, and I wasn't able to, to put 100. Well, you need 120% to be a jockey. You, you just got to put everything into it. So. Um, so anyway, uh, b- besides jockeys, I had some physical therapists come to me, therapeutic riding programs, and then other types of riders. Uh, and unfortunately, all riders sustain some sort of injuries and or want to get back to riding or don't get to ride enough and want to stay in shape. And, and the Equisizer does all these things for riders. So uh, we are, we're still a small business, but we're a growing business, and we just just in the past year, been recognized by some of the top riders in, here in America, um, in dressage, and western, English, reining, uh, roping, polo. So everybody seems to find a reason why they might need an equisizer. And you have I, a lot of big names, Jane Savoy, and uh, uh, in in reining, yeah. uh, Stacy Westfall, Westfall uh, yeah, Craig Cameron, uh, Tommy Tommy Garland. Um, Oh gosh, Ruth Hogan Polson, Betsy Steiner, some of, some of the biggest names in these disciplines uh, are finding how handy an equisizer can be, and uh, every one of them may have a different different reason, but they um, they love the product and they they're supporting me. Did so, uh, I sat on one at um, Equine Affair here in Massachusetts last year, and I fell in love with it. I <laughs> there were like a hundred different 
uses came to mind when I sat on it. You know, and you you sort of you get on it and you go, okay, this is going to be fun. This is going to be kind of interesting. And and this huge light bulb goes off over your head when you do sit down on it, and you uh-huh. go, oh my god, this is the most amazing invention. <laughs> I need to have one for me. I need to get one for my brother. I need to have one for my friend. Well, thank you know, you, Are you still but, building them in your garage, Frankie? Well, my garage is now a shop. I, okay. I have um, <laughs> here here in Ohio. I, I built 400 horses out of a single car garage, which I'm proud of. But um, now I have I have about 3,500 square feet, and um, and I'm I'm it's my full time job now. So I'm 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 pumping out about 100 horses a year now. Wow. And, uh, so I'm hoping to increase that number. You have you have kids, is that right? Yes, I have three. Um, you have three kids are, now. Go ahead. Two of them are, are already in their 20s. Uh, okay. My youngest is 16. And and are they uh, involved with horses at all? Not at all. They <laughs> said dad broke every bone in his body 16 times. We're not doing that. <laughs> I, I was just wondering if they they were involved at all with the business and um, or if they're going in it totally no, different direction. Not, not a little bit. Not even a little bit. My my um, my my oldest is uh, my daughter. She's uh, she's in the school for nursing. Um, she's a single parent. She lives with us and with our granddaughter Allison, and we love 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 having them. Oh, um, like you. My uh, my son. Um, He's a, a college graduate, a music major from Hofstra University. He is a musician. Um, he's, his bass, bass playing is his main thing. He plays jazz. He teaches. He uh, he does studio work. Um, so he's still in New York. That's where he prefers to live. And and my 16 year old, we he had to come with us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to hear what when when you have um. First of all, I think you're you're incredibly lucky to have um, your daughter and, and your granddaughter with you because, I mean, I, having a little one myself, I know how excited that my parents are whenever they get to see them. So um, it's really nice that you give, have your family close. But it's so interesting to hear what um, – that your children have developed passions of their own. They have It seems like they have a good sense of direction. Yes. Um, and you know when when you have I think a parent who is so um, devoted and successful and confident in their own right, I love to see how that actually translates into their children's lives. Even though your children aren't involved with horses at all, I I think it's just such a wonderful thing. Um, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Our, 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 ironically, our granddaughter loves horses. Mm-hmm. So she'll come <laughs> she'll come to the shop and she hangs out with me. She tries to help me build them. How old um, is she? She's three. She's going to be four in another week. Perfect. But, uh, I've got some YouTube videos with her riding the equisizers. It's <laughs> hilarious. She's got to ride them all. And she brushes her hair and gets them all ready. And she she hates when I send them out. She wants to keep them all. <laughs> Make friends with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell how you what. She, how does she feel about real live ones? Oh, she loves them, and she's fearless. Mm-hmm. She's fearless. We got a little barn around the corner that. Uh, we have a quarter horse, um, and then our therapeutic riding program, which is another whole story, another segment. Um, my wife has started a therapeutic riding program called Stampede of Dreams. Um, we have a website, stampedeofdreams.org, um, that we we conduct uh, therapeutic riding. We use the equisizer and we use real horses. Um, we have a, a bunch of volunteers, great support from the community. Um, but there with our real horses, uh, Allie will, she'll, she'll get on. She just wants to go faster. 
Turn her loose. Just turn her loose. You can't, man. We're not going to turn you loose, Holly. Well, you know what? You better hope she's too big to be a jockey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, Frankie, you told me that you got something exciting going on here, that your equisizer is going to be on The Tonight Show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, recently um, we got a phone call from the folks of uh, Conan O'Brien and Animal Planet. Um, Joe Talamo is scheduled to appear uh, September 28th on the Conan O'Brien show. And he's challenging... one of the jockeys from the series Jockeys, actually. Yes, yes, from the Young series uh, from Jockeys, and, and uh, challenging Conan O'Brien uh, to, a, to an equisizer race. Uh, <laughs> so they've, uh, they've, they've come to me to uh, try to find three equisizers, which we have. We found three equisizers there in the Los Angeles area where they tape, and one of the guest stars is also going to participate. So it should be fun. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of when fun. When does that air? Day? We'll have yeah. to watch it. I, I believe it's going to air the 28th. They, they'll film it that, that day, and, and um, they've already scheduled pickups for those equisizers out there in California and with, with my uh, customers, and, and they're all set up. So uh, we'll see. Fingers <laughs> nice. Crossed. All right. We'll be there rooting for you and the equisizer. <laughs> How can somebody learn more and buy an equisizer from you, Frankie? Well, we have our, our website. It's probably the best, uh, full of information, and um, – I'll give you, we have two web addresses. One is often misspelled, which is the word equisizer, which is E-Q-U-I-C-I-Z-E-R.com. But easier to remember is exercisehorse.com. And that's just like it's spelled, exercisehorse.com. And that also goes to our website. And uh, well, there's... That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I there's think... all kinds of... Yeah, there's you have all kinds of videos on there, and you have all the famous people you've met, and they are using the equisizer. It's kind of cool. Yeah, we we have it's three categories. We have our, our racing pages, we have our therapy pages, and we have our equestrians pages. And and in, inside the equestrians pages, we actually have of uh, a, a, a thumbnails of of all these top riders using them, and and some of them have uh, supplied videos for me to use with the equisizers and and uh, how they use them in their program. So. Um, and this is just over the past year. We're, we're very excited about this next year coming. So, are you backed up on orders right now? Or are you are you good? Yes, yes, I am backed up. I'm I'm already. I'm I'm right now. I'm. This will probably be the last week or two. I'll be able to take any Christmas orders because um, I'll be I'll be building horses in the next couple of weeks for January already. All right. So, so you, were you into woodworking at all before this, or is this a new adventure for you? I always was a little bit, but never to this extent. So, um, which have you gotten hurt more from, jockeying or woodworking? That's <laughs> or splinters. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I guess I'd have to go with the jockey. How thing. many fingers do you have, Frankie? Just checking. <laughs> <laughs> I have stapled myself before. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll my, my family was all into woodworking, so I know it, that's a dangerous thing in itself when you're not paying attention and you're using the table saw and the piece of wood kicks across the room at 110 miles an hour. Uh, yes. And and your your child is standing there trying to duck out of the way. I've been down that road before. It. Yes, yes. So <laughs> it's always good to wear your safety equipment, whether you're wearing a helmet or a safety goggles. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frankie, it has been absolutely a joy to have you on today. Uh, we we Thank hope you. to have you back again. We we sort of make you our our, uh, our our lifeline here to the racing world when there's news that we need to talk about. Would you do that for us? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Good. And I love to try to, to educate when I can and any misconceptions in, in horse racing. And I don't, I don't consider myself an expert, but um, I've certainly spent enough time in it that I can, I can at least give a, maybe a, an eye-opening type of uh, angle on any certain instance. You know, riding 15,000 horses at least to qualifies you as, a, as somebody with some knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't think you're quite an expert, does it take 30,000 horses then to be an expert? You know? Well, perhaps. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that. Let's Maybe just, just say you know enough. Memory. You know a lot more than we do. And that's all we care about. Yeah. Well, thank you, Frankie. We appreciate you being on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. All the best. Thank you, Helena. All right. Bye-bye. Well, Helena, that was just a lot of fun. Uh, Frankie, you know, Frankie is everything all those emailers said he was. (laughs) No, I know. I really, honestly, and people think I'm like full of malarkey, but when talking to somebody like that, I could really go for hours. I know. It was amazing how quickly an hour went. I looked up and went, oh, my God, we're running out of time. I better let him talk about the equalizer. (laughs) And he's really really humble. He says he's not an expert, but like you said, 15,000 rides, that, that gives you... I think that gives you claim to the to the term expert. Yeah, add a you know add a, a, a hundred sport horse people together, and we haven't done fifteen thousand rides. So I mean, <laughs> I don't, right, unbelievable. Right. Well, that was a lot of fun. We're definitely going to have to do more on racing as we go along. Maybe we'll do a special uh, before the Kentucky Derby. We'll do a special Derby episode, or Frankie can get one of the jockeys on with us and. And we, we can do that. And and we did talk to him about getting Mike Smith or Aaron Ryder, one of the stars of the show jockeys, uh, for an interview. So if we can pick that up at some point here, we'll just add it to an episode. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'd like to know a little bit more about what goes on inside of racing. I mean, jockeys is great. I, you know, I love the show. Um, but there's so much more to the world of racing. And I, I think, um, yeah, I think a lot racing... Of it- starts with the breeding you know a lot of it starts at the the breeding end we haven't really done a whole lot on breeding of any uh animals actually so no no um but i think yeah i think racing would be well served to have us do a little show on the the truth of racing because i i I honestly don't think it's as bad as some anti-racing people think it is yeah, I think it. I think it again comes down knowing what I do. I think it again comes down to there's bad elements in every sport, and Agreed. whether that's racing or jumping or dressage, you know, we're we're starting right. to see dressage weed itself out right now, right. and you know, there's just bad elements in any sport, and then in any sport, there's the good. So. Uh, we tend to focus on the good because, you know, there's enough people covering the bad that, you know, all across all the shows that we do, we tend to focus on the good side of the horse sports and because, you know what, there's enough media outlets out there covering the bad. We don't need right. to, we don't and need Especially to with racing because it's covered by your, your general national news media. They only pick up the bad stuff, really, um, unless it's the Kentucky Derby or the Triple Crown. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I think... We, I think a little positive shine on the light, a little positive light on the racing world would be good. Good. Well, Helena, you can catch all those other shows that we talked about. You can find them all at horseradionetwork.com. You can find the show notes with links to the Equisizer and uh, Frankie's other websites at stablescoop.com. You'll find them all there for this episode. And I think that's about it, Helena. Oh, no, we're done? That's it. We're done. I don't know what else to do. I'm kind of just out of words. 
<laughs> Never. I know, I know. You know what? And I did take that test. Do you remember the test we had on the show last week for the personality? Yeah. So yes. I took it for myself. Yes. You know, and I did come out a rock star. I just want to, I, I want. You came out the rock star? Did yeah. you tell everybody what I came out as? <laughs> well, you came, no, we didn't. And this was funny. You sort of took the test too, right? I did. I did. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I came out to be the goddess. Yeah, well, so. <laughs> So this is a great combination. No wonder this shows what it the is. We've got a rock, rock star and a goddess. Yeah, there we go. And on that note, we'll talk to you next week, Alina. All right, we'll be back with the scoop. <laughs>